All right, good morning, everyone. Um, the reading today is from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. And this is the reading for the third Sunday of Advent. When God's people were surrounded by hardship, suffering, and grief, Isaiah proclaimed, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. We come today as people who are also surrounded by suffering and grief, and yet the Spirit hovers among us, tending and anointing, inspiring freedom, declaring blessing, and igniting joy. We wait as the people who experience hardship, yet we are called to witness to the persistent joy that sustains our life as God's people. We light these candles as signs of the gift of the unknown, the gift of the wilderness, and the gift of transformation. May our lives shine with the light who lives in our hearts as we wait and work for God's transformative love on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Chris and Susan leave. I want to make sure you know who they are. Chris and Susan Liner have been members of our church for quite some time, and they are very, very involved in our church. In fact, Susan is a tutor at Vickery Mill Elementary School and has been since the beginning of that tutoring program. Chris is also the chair of our global missions team, and between the two of them, I think they know and have checked on and have visited every single missionary and global mission partner that we have of this church. They participate in Rise Against Hunger, Family Promise, all these wonderful things. And so this Christmas, this Advent season, I want to give them a gift uh, from our church straight to you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. Hmm. I'm wondering, though, um, do you have anything for me? Did you bring me a present? We didn't bring you a present. Did you not bring me a present? Really? Maybe next week. Um, okay, I guess that'll be fine. Should we let them bring me a present next week? That'll be better. All right, fine. Take the present. Bring me one next week. Hold on. Wait. Did you say thank you and really mean thank you? Like, did you say thank you? Okay, so you didn't bring me a present and you didn't say thank you. No. All right, fine. You really do a lot for our church, and we really do say thank you, and you are an awesome family, and so we are going to give you this and say thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Do we give presents like that? Is that how we're supposed to give presents? No, we're not supposed to give presents with strings attached. We don't get presents to get one back, do we? No, I should have heard that. Do we get presents to get things back? There it is. Thank you. No. Do we get presents so that people can tell us thank you? No. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. This season is all about gifts and it's all about presents. And we're buying all kinds of things for all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. And I want you to know, do not give gifts with strings attached. Do not give them because you feel obligated. Do not give them because they think you're gonna give them one or you're gonna get one back. You give gifts so people know they're loved. You give gifts so people know you thought of them. You give gifts because you think someone is special. This season, give a gift as a symbol of a divine and holy love. Now, let's pretend for a minute that I gave every single one of you a box as a present, a gift. Every single one of you, let's pretend, has a gift from us. And in that gift, you have the very first thing on your wish list. Tell me, what would be in that box? What do you want as the number one gift this year for Christmas? A squishmallow. That's a great one. I love those things. Yeah, what else do you want? What would be in your presence? A rabbit toy? Her rabbit needs a toy. Um, I think you've got a lot. Okay. She's got a rabbit. She needs a toy for her rabbit. That's a good one. All right. What else? What's on your wish list? New computer. A new computer. What? A Nintendo Switch. A Nintendo Switch. Yes. What do you want for this Christmas? Yes, I know. You want an NHL 24, don't you? Yes. What else? A PS5. You got that, parents? PS5. Yes. What else do you want with a Squishmallow? Fortnite. Okay. Good luck, family. What else? Tell me. What do you want? A new toaster? Oh, don't get her a new toaster. A grandchild. Is anyone listening? Whoever needs to listen, I don't know who you are, but a grandchild. That is a fun one. World peace. What is it? World peace. World peace. That's a good one. Yes. Money. Money. A car. Clothes. A box. Jewelry. That's what I want. An Xbox. No fighting. That's a good one. Everyone listen to that one too. That goes with world peace. It starts in your house. Yes. A castle. (laughs) A castle to go with a rabbit. Do you know what you haven't said yet? There's one present no one has said. And you haven't said it because no one in America wants it, according to credit card companies. 
It's the number one present nobody wants, a fruitcake. Yeah, that has no theological reference. I will not talk about that again. I just read it, and I thought it was interesting that no one in America wants a fruitcake. In fact, people say they would rather not have a present than a fruitcake. I hope you get all of your presents. I hope you get all of your gifts. The exciting thing is you don't have to wait much longer. Because if this is the third Sunday of Advent, guess what next Sunday is? The fourth Sunday of Advent, which is Christmas Eve. And I don't know about you, but in my house, you get to open one present Christmas Eve. It's like a teaser. You only have to wait one more week and a day for your gifts. There was a Sunday school teacher, and she was teaching her elementary class all about the Christmas story. And she went into great detail. She talked about Joseph. She talked about Mary. She talked about Bethlehem. She talked about all the animals and the shepherds and the manger. And at the end of the story, she asked the kids, who do you think is the most important woman in the Bible? Well, she'd kind of baited them, right? She was kind of hoping they would say someone. And what happened? This little child raised their hand, and the teacher said, okay, who is the most important woman in the Bible to you? And you know what the child said? Eve. She goes, really? Why Eve? And the child said, because they named two days after Eve, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. I don't know who you think is the most important woman in the Bible. I would say I think Eve and Mary are equally important. They are both incredible women. But I know that there's a small town about 30 minutes from here that would not think that Eve is the most important. They would say it's Mary. If you remember in the 90s, there was a small town not far from Atlanta, and there was a woman who believed that she went outside of her house and she had a vision of Mary. And this apparition of Mary was not one time. This apparition visited this woman over and over again. And the apparition of Mary actually spoke to this woman she believed. Now, I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying people began to make pilgrimages just to see if they could hear Mary, see Mary, and know what she was saying. I have to be honest with you. I think that would be a gift. Think about the gift of time if we could spend time with Mary. I would have so many questions for her. The first question I would say is like, tell me the truth. Did Joseph really freak out? Like, I'm going to need to know exactly how that conversation went with Joseph. I want to know. Then I want to know meaningful things too. Like, I want to know Mary. In the Catholic Church, in the Catholic tradition, in the Catholic faith, they go and they light candles and we say names of people when we light candles and we say that to Mary. I want to know, does Mary hear those names and how does it feel and what does she do with those names? How does she hold all of that? I have questions for Mary and I have silly questions, I'm sure, for her too. And I have absolutely no idea what Mary said to that woman. I have no idea what Mary would say to me, but I know what Mary said to an angel because it's captured in the Gospel of Luke, and it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God 
to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And then Mary said, Here I am, Lord the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. When we think about Mary, we think about her actions. We think about what she did. We think about the many things that she did and the child that she birthed. Sometimes, too, we think about her as a contemplative We say she pondered all these things in her heart. That makes her contemplative. That's how we think about her. But this year, as I was reading her story, I kept thinking about the conversations that she had. I kept thinking about the words that she chose. And she said to an angel, here I am. Lord, All that I am, I am a young girl, here I am. The situation I'm about to be in, here I am. The circumstances of my life are about to change everything, but here I am with no strings attached. When we hear these words, here I am, Lord, we always think about the Old Testament with a man named Samuel. Samuel's sleeping and he's hearing somebody calling him. And he goes over to Eli over and over again. And Eli says, that is the Lord. Next time you hear it, say, here I am. And the servant Samuel says, here I am, Lord. We have songs that quote these words, but we forget it is Mary in the New Testament who says them. Everything I have. I am yours. I have nothing but myself. So here I am, Lord, with no strings attached. Take me and make me new. Make me different. Make me unique. The gift this third Sunday of Advent is transformation. It's the gift of Mary. Taking all that we offer and making it into something holy. There's a cathedral in a beautiful town in Spain. 
And in this particular cathedral, there are beautiful doors. And the doors are actually called the doors of forgiveness. And I was reading an article about it. And the person who wrote the article is a minister. And this minister went to go visit and the minister was walking around the cathedral, and he was overhearing, he was eavesdropping on a tour guide. And the tour guide was explaining to another group about the doors of forgiveness. And the tour guide said, it is said that these doors of forgiveness are here. And whoever walks through the door of forgiveness into the sanctuary will be forgiven of all their sins. And the tour guide went on to say, but you know what? In all the years that I've been living here, they've never opened them. And the minister, reflecting on this experience, wrote these words. Of course, the church has a door that will forgive all your sins and keeps that thing under lock and key? Of course, it could prop open that portal and let God's grace escape into the world like air conditioning. But instead, the church adds a gate outside just for good measure. If I was in charge of a door like that, he writes, I would take it off its hinges. But then again, I am, and I haven't, of course. I've been given the keys to the doors of forgiveness, and I guard it tighter than a maximum security prison, wanting to keep the upper hand for a little while longer, unwilling to admit my part in things. I enjoy hearing people beg for forgiveness. Why in the world would I ever allow them to be forgiven or changed or transformed? This idea of walking through a door just to be transformed, that sounds amazing to me. The idea that I could walk through a door and be made clean, all my sins be forgiven and be transformed is amazing. I would have no problem walking through that door. But you know what would be hard for me? To open the door to the person behind me. It's a lot harder for us to give transformation to the next person than it is to receive it ourselves. Transformation happens, though, all the time in our culture. We love transformation in the world. Because we love technology. Technology has transformed everything. We took a good old-fashioned encyclopedia and transformed it into Google. We took a motor car and transformed it into an electric vehicle. Think about music and the transformation of music. We went from records to five tracks to CDs to DVDs to streaming, and now we're back to vinyls again. Think about the transformation, Bluetooth, all the wireless. We love transformation. I want you to think about a vending machine. Just a very simple vending machine. The very first vending machines 
used to, you would have to have a coin. You had to have change, and you had to have correct change. And you could get a newspaper out of it or maybe a stamp. And if you're a physics person or an engineer person, you know vending machines are just simple machines. They're pull and levers, really pulley and a lever. These days, a vending machine looks a little differently, though. A vending machine is just one big computer. I know my son can go to high school and get whatever he wants out of this vending machine, whatever he wants to eat or drink using a credit card that's attached to his phone. (laughs) Vending machines are now one big computer. But do you know the very first vending machine when it was discovered and invented? Anybody? The very first vending machine was from the first century. From the century of Mary and Joseph, there was a vending machine. And a man who invented it, his name was Haran of Alexander. And he was Greek. And he was an engineer. And do you know what the very first vending machine dispensed? You had to put a coin in it. We know what that coin looks like because scripture tells us, think about the coin. You stick the coin in a vending machine in the first century and the coin goes down and it hits a lever and the lever hits a pan and starts to dispense something. And then when the coin falls off, the pan pulls up and no longer will you have any. Do you know what you would have received in the vending machine? Anybody? Nope. Holy water. The very first vending machine dispensed holy water. And do you know why it dispensed holy water? Because people started to use too much. And you know why people started to use too much? Because people of faith know the power of water. Anything holy water touches, it transforms, it purifies. In the Old Testament, God hovers over waters of creation. God parted water to make a way. God used water, mixed it with oil, and began to anoint people. In the New Testament, water was turned into wine. Water was added to dirt to make mud so people could heal. And river water became living water of baptism. People of faith know the transformative power and gift of water. And so here we are today, the season of Advent, as people of faith who are told that it is our turn to forgive, to transform, and to say to God freely, here I am with no strings attached. Because Chapel Roswell, it is our time It is our turn to bust open those doors, take the doors off the hinges so that we can tell the world we offer transformation through water here freely. We are never going to limit or keep back for ourselves God's grace and God's love. We will open the doors, take them off the hinges so that every person who walks in or walks out know that this is a place where the gift of God's love is offered to all without any strings attached. And so this season of Advent, 
Our first gift was the gift of the unknown. Our second gift is the gift of the wilderness. And the third gift is the gift of the transformation. And next Sunday, don't tell anybody, it's the gift of devotion. And so I am here to say, we, the people of Chapel Roswell, offer all of those gifts without any strings attached to every person we meet, not just the one that we wait for, but the ones who are unexpected along the way. I'm going to ask for my Chapel Roswell elves to come up here because the time has come. This season has been all about the gift. Wait, wait. What's in it? Do y'all know? Okay, we're ready now. <laughs> Yay, thank you! We actually have a gift for every one of you here. There actually is a box for every one of you with something in it to remind you of this Advent season and the gift that you can be to somebody else. If you are under the age of 10, the brown box is yours. If you are over the age of 10, not going to say anything else, just over the age of 10, the white box is for you. And so while we sing our last song, I'm going to have you come and I want you to get your gift. And you have to pay attention though, because look what it says. Do not open until Christmas. So try to wait, put it under your tree, and then Christmas morning, you will have a gift from your faith community. Let's pray together. Gracious and holy Lord, we know that even as we wait for you through your son, you're already here with us and you've been among us every day. And so for all of that, we say thank you. We thank you for your presence in our lives and we thank you for gathering us as Chapel Roswell. May we be good stewards of that name and may we be good stewards of worship and what we represent in a world that needs you. We look forward to the next days that come so we can celebrate. We look forward to the end of this school semester. We want time away from routine and time away from work. And so help us to see that as a gift from you. We are grateful too that you have called us into this community to be together. And we know that you are already commissioning leaders and servants and may we be among them who aren't afraid to say, here we are, take us and equip us for whatever awaits us this next year. May we hear your voice through our family, through our children, through our friends, calling us out of our comfort zone so that we may serve you in this world. Help us to care for the people, care for the water, care for how the words we choose and how we use them are heard so that more people hear you and not us. And Lord, it is in your mercy we ask for the people who are feeling lonely, who are feeling hungry and unsheltered. May you be with them. 
And in particular, be with every shelter room, every hospital room, and every bedroom so that your love is made present in each of them. And we pray that for every child that is born, help them to know that they are loved and put into the lives of each child people who are only going to see your light through them. And Lord, for these next weeks, may we indeed find joy in the unexpected, hope in the wilderness, and adventure and transformation so we may be ready to meet you clearly. It's in the name of the one we seek that we say amen.